Chapter VIII of Dress Design: An Account of Costume for Artists and Dressmakers by Talbot Hughes. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Libby Gone. Dress Design: An Account of Costume for Artists and Dressmakers by Talbot Hughes. Chapter VIII, Part One: The Character of Trimmings of the Nineteenth Century. During the later part of the 18th century, a great deal of tinsel-drawn work was done on fine muslin, and became beautifully treated in delicate design on the hem and down the front of many of the high-waisted dresses, as in figure A, plate 23, see page 218. Later on, towards the 20s, we see a great deal of effective coarse work in heavy gold tinsel, and at the same time, to the 40s, a number of dresses were ably enriched with fine gold thread. The white embroidery in the earlier trimmings of this period, of which I give examples in plate 24, see page 231, was remarkable for its wealth of fancy. The chief beauty of these dresses was the delightful treatment of gathered effects, and with the reign of George IV, we note the gradual return of the longer pointed bodice, with the growth of very full sleeves, also the increase in size and fuller set-out of the skirts over the stiff flounced drill petticoats. The V-shaped bertha setting to the neck and shoulders began to establish itself, and became a great feature through the thirties and forties, the first signs of it appear about 1814. Varieties of materials were used to great advantage in designing, and drawn tool trimmings were happily introduced to soften hard shapes and colours. The shoulder fullness also began to be neatly drawn in and held by straps, which gave a charming character to many bodices. From 1816, Choice work in piped shapes, often of flower forms decorated with pearls or beads, was set on fine net, as seen in plates 23 and 29, see pages 218, 263. The attraction to the thirties was the happy effects gained by the bow and flower looping on the flounces, and these ripened in fancy and variety through the forties. Braiding was adopted in the thirties with a rather charming treatment of tassels down the front of the dress, the polonaises of this time were also effective and simple, caught here and there with posies of flowers, and we find this fashion again revived in the sixties. With the reign of George the Fourth, we notice an increasing choice of strong coloured effects, which culminated in the mid-Victorian era in raw colour and violent shot silks, velvets, and heavy fringes, but one may see that many of these dresses of bright pure tone looked exceedingly refined and were quite stately. A remarkable dress is figure A, plate 32, see page 279, which is a very strong bright blue, its only enrichments being a curved line of folded silk. All these dresses from 1800 were delightfully embellished with embroidered fichus, light scarves of frail gauze, crepe or Norwich silk, and in the Victorian times, capes and V-shaped shawls, fascinating lace ruffles and tuck-in fronts to the bodice necks of frills and bands of embroidery broke the severity or bareness of many dresses. An endless variety of fascinating caps and lace head lappets was pinned or caught into the hair at the wearer's fancy, besides the bows, flowers, and jewels, especially pearls, which have always played an important part in the coiffure from early times. The chatelaines and bags, fobs, fans, and lace or silk handkerchiefs all gave the artist a note of extra colour where desired. The cruel period of taste really came with the seventies, though one can trace many quaint and interesting cuts in the bodices and skirts of this time, but the grand dress of complicated drapings, heavily fringed or braided, was a set piece which, let us hope, will never appear again. 
The long stocking purse, which began to appear in the late 17th century, was up to 1820 sometimes carried tucked through the belt. It was set with a pair of metal rings and tassels of steel or gilt beads. Small and large circular and bag-shaped purses were also in use. All these were made in coloured silk threads enriched with steel, gilt, or coloured beads, the latter shapes being set in chased metal mounts, and circular ones generally having a fringe and the bag shape a small tassel or heavy drop. These shapes can also be seen in coloured leathers with a leather tassel, besides the plain money bag with a drawstring. Part two, nineteenth century, George the third, female. The hair up to 1808 was gathered in a knot of curls at the back of the head, rather high up, with a small curl at the sides in front of the ear. Later the knot was set more on the top, and the side curls were made more of a feature, several being arranged at the sides. Numerous varieties of large and small-brimmed hats, bonnets and turbans are seen, and several masculine top hats and cockade hats may be noted in this reign. The usual feather decorations and large ribbons or flowers were in use, and a handkerchief was sometimes bound over the top of the straw hat and tied under the chin. The classic high-waisted dress continued till 1808, and was often beautifully decorated with white embroidery and gold or tinsel, as in A, plates 20 and 23, see page 199-218, and the front's piece is a lovely white example. There were several interesting drapings, one being a cord hanging from the back of the shoulder to loop up the train of the dress, as in A, plate 22, see page 215. The simple tunic shapes are better described by the illustrations. More originality was essayed in design after the last-mentioned date. A high Van Dyke lace collar and fan setting to the shoulders appeared, and many interesting dresses of a plain cut, mostly in velvet and silks, were worn about 1810 to 1812. A gathered sleeve drawn tight at intervals was often seen up to 1816, when embroidered ruffles and frills decorated most of the necks and skirts, and a braided type of character, rather military in effect, with beautifully piped edgings, came in from about 1817. Spencer bodices were an additional interest at this period, and a short puff sleeve was generally banded or caught with bows, these being often worn over a fairly loose long sleeve gathered by a wristband. Dresses were worn shorter from about 1810, Charming lace and embroidered fichus crossed the shoulders, and long scarfed capes were thrown round the neck and were often tied round behind, as in the 18th century. Long capes with points and tassels in front fell to the knees, and a simple pelisse with cape became a pleasing feature. Bags were always carried, of which there is a variety of shapes in the plates. Long gloves or mittens were generally worn. Parasols of a flat shape or others, with round or pagoda-shaped tops, are seen many being edged with a deep fringe. Long purses were often tucked through the waistband. The pointed shoe, tied sandal fashion up the leg, and with no heel, remained through this reign, but a round-toed low shoe, tied on in the same manner, began to supersede it about 1810. Part three, 19th century, George III, male. Wigs had practically gone out, except for a few of the latter type of the 18th century amongst elderly people. The hair was now worn short, and left rather full on the front with short side whiskers. Plain black or white stocks tied with a front bow, and a starched or unstarched collar with a frilled or gathered shirt front were in use. 
A tie pin or stud was also seen in the centre of the stock or frilling. The same hats as used in the latter part of the 18th century continued for a time, but the top hat had established its favour and assumed various shapes throughout this reign. The coats were set with very high turnover collars and a wide-shaped lapel, and the lapel of the waistcoat was still brought outside. As these lapels on the coats became smaller and changed into a roll collar, they were cut into points at the breast as seen in the illustrations. The front of the coat cut away in a short square, rather high in the waist, which thus formed a long-tailed skirt. The fronts were made double-breasted and were often fastened high up the lapel. The hip pleats had gone round more to the back, into a closely pressed fold, about three inches from the back opening. Sleeves were gathered rather full in the shoulders, becoming very tight on the forearm, and were finished in a cuff or button cuff shape. We also see that a short square coat without tails was worn over the longer one. Overcoats, or long-skirted coats, with a cape or capes, up to four, were worn all through this reign, both double and single-breasted, sometimes with turn-up cuffs, but this mode was not frequently used, as a sewn-on cuff or cuff made in the sleeve was now worn, and began to take a curved shape well over the hand, with three buttons to fasten it on the outer sides. Short double-breasted waistcoats continued much the same, but a round-shaped lapel appeared on many. Very tight-fitting breeches were worn at the same 18th-century cut, and trousers began to gain favour. A fob of seals, etc., was always worn, coming from under the waistcoat. Soft high boots with turn-down tops and boots with longish brown tops set low on the leg. The top boot with a pointed or oval-shaped front and tassel still held sway, and an oval-toed low shoe with or without small latchets was in use. Part 4, 19th century. George the Fourth, female. The hair at this period was worn in plates or curls gathered on top, and during the latter years was arranged into stiff loops set with a high comb. A group of curls was drawn to the sides of the face, the hair being mostly parted from the centre. Plumes were much used for headdresses, and caps with gathered puffs and pointed frills. Plumes were much used for headdresses, and caps with gathered puffs and pointed frills. A high-crowned straw poke bonnet tilted upwards was still in form, but the prevailing mode was a silk bonnet, with a brim curved in at the front, the sides being drawn together under the chin with a bow. The prevailing decoration was a group of feathers thrown forward or ribbon loops, and after this a large round hat, with a full gathered crown, arrived about 1827, or straw shapes such as figure A, plate 28, see page 259. Dresses gradually assumed a longer waist, and a short-pointed bodice made its appearance here and there from about 1822, when short stays began to return, and pointed belt corselets were frequent, though the waistband or sash was chiefly used. Short-puffed sleeves of charming character and workmanship were sometimes set in a gauze sleeve, as in figure C, plate 23, see page 218. Spencers and polices had long sleeves coming from these short ones, they were rather full, and were caught at the wrist with a band. The upper sleeve gradually disappeared as the full-topped sleeves began to develop in size, about 1824. This fullness was often broken up into gathered parts, a tight cuff piece usually finished at the wrist. The high set-up collars and neck frills gave way to the flat capes about 1827. 
though the small ruffs were worn round the top of the high-necked capes to 1830. The gathered shoulder began about 1823 and soon became a marked feature. Pointed or scalloped frills and trimming came into favour from 1825, figure B, plate 23. And about 1827 the sloped appearance in the bodice began to be noticed as the sleeves were set lower. The shoulders and ball dresses were shown, and a gathered bertha of silk or lace was arranged round the neck of the bodice, figure D, plate 24, see page 231 or this form was made in the pattern as figure c plate twenty two see page two fifteen the v-shaped piece from the centre of the waist or breast began to spread over the shoulders where it was opened as in figure b plate twenty two see page two fifteen this v-shape was often opened down to the waist where it was filled in with a centre piece of embroidery skirts were gradually set out fuller with stiff flounced petticoats they had various simple or richly decorated borders and fronts, or several small flounces, or one deep one, often with the edges cut into diverse shapes. I have striven to give good examples of the marked styles of the various dated illustrations, as well as the court train to dress, figure A, plate 33, see page 282, which also comes in to this time. Shoes were rather round at the toes till near the end of the reign, when they took a square shape. A teeny rosette or bow was placed at the front of the instep, and they were held by narrow ribbons, crossed and tied round the ankle. Boots lacing at the inside, with seam down the front, often had a toe-cap as figure 5, plate 21, see page 202. No heels were worn. Light gauze scarves were usually carried, and very small fans besides the larger feather ones bags or sachets of the forms illustrated were painted or embroidered in ribbon-work chenille tulle and coloured silks a few specimens of parasols are also given and gloves and mittens were of the same character as in the latter part of the last reign the patterns given of some of the dresses shown in the plates will be useful as to the measurements of the increase in skirt width and sleeves one may also note the very pointed set-out of the breast sometimes made with two gores which only occurs in this reign Muffs were usually of large size, and a bow with long ends was often worn on the front. Part five, nineteenth century, George the fourth, eighteen twenty to eighteen thirty, male. The mode in beaver hats was most varied: high straight crowns with small brims, others tapering at the top with larger curled brims, or crowns enlarging at the top with almost straight small brims. A top hat of straw is shown on page 309. A short-crowned hat was also worn. The hair was combed towards the front at either side, and the face shaven, with the exception of short side-whiskers. A very high stock of black satin or linen surrounded the throat, with or without the points of the collar showing, and a frilled shirt often stiffly goffered. Coats were very tight-fitting and mostly double-breasted, with long swallow-tailed skirts or long full skirts. The waist was rather short, and the effect of coat-front round-breasted, with a high turned-over collar finished in large lapels, which were often treated with velvets. The favourite colours for overcoats were greys, buffs, greens, and blues, and the edges were neatly finished with fine cord. The sleeves, rather full in the shoulder, became tight on the top of the lower arm, coming to a curved shape well over the hand and buttoned up the side. Pockets were frequently set at an angle, as in the illustration, and a short round cape or two was seen on many overcoats. 
A short type of coat is seen about 1827 with a single roll collar. Waistcoats mostly had a round-shaped lapel and were often double-breasted and very shaped at the waist, which was set fairly high. A long opening allowed the frilled shirt front full display. There were also waistcoats having no lapels, no pockets, or no cover flap. The points of front were very small, being buttoned to the end, or with a double-breasted shape they were straight across. Breeches were not so much worn as trousers of cloth, nankeen, drill, and fine white corduroy. These were usually fastened under the boots with a strap. Others were looser and often worn short, well above the ankle. A very full type in the upper part peg tops was in fashion about 1820-1825 amongst the dandies, and for evening dress, very close-fitting breeches to the knee or just above the ankle, the latter being opened and buttoned up to the calf. Pince-nez were favoured, with a heavy black ribbon, generally worn tucked into the lapels of the waistcoat, and a fob of gold seals, etc., hung from the braces below the waistcoat pocket. Shoes and short Wellington boots were chiefly worn, the former being low in the heel and very short in the tongue, which was almost covered by small latchets, either buckled or tied, the shape of the toe being rather round. The Hessian boots, with curved front and tassel at the top, were still worn. End of chapter 8, parts 1 through 5